Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and welcome to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that every entrepreneur wants to understand, and that's how to prepare for a smooth exit. And today, my guest is Sean Frank, who's the founder and chief investment officer of Cloud Equity Group. Hey, Sean, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hey, thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. You are uniquely qualified to uh, discuss this topic today about preparing for a smooth exit. So before we jump into that topic, why don't you just introduce yourself briefly to the audience. Uh, tell them a little bit about yourself and Cloud Equity Group. Yeah, sure. So I'm a founder and managing partner here at Cloud Equity Group. We're an alternative asset management firm based in New York, uh, actually celebrating our 10-year anniversary next week. Uh, we invest broadly in what we define as tech-enabled business services. Our core business model are buyouts in the lower middle market, and so we'll look to acquire technology-focused, service-oriented businesses that you know are, are primarily found or run. You know, maybe have hit some sort of plateau, need an infusion of growth capital. Maybe there's an owner that's looking to exit, or they're looking for some liquidity solution. Um, you know, but effectively look to come in and help transition these companies that are, you know, otherwise by definition small businesses and, you know, look to uh, consolidate and integrate and institutionalize them to turn them into investable companies. So really the conduit that will take businesses from lower end of the lower middle market, uh, more upstream within the lower middle market. Yeah. So I want to start by, by jumping, we'll call it into the numbers. I know the show is behind the numbers. So let, let's start in the numbers and talk about some of the key metrics that make a company investable. What, what do you look at? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, look, I think that, you know, there's, there's lots of different numbers in any business. And I think it's important, you know, particularly look, when you're looking to raise capital, whether that be just the capital infusion into the business or, you know, ultimately looking to sell a part of the business to kind of understand all of it. Um, if I had to identify some, some really key metrics and really key numbers, I think that the drivers and revenue uh, is probably one of the most important areas to focus. And surprisingly, it's one of the areas that we find founders or business owners, you know, very often don't have a good grasp on. I'll uh, tell you a little bit what I mean by that. Um, you know, we'll often see a business being marketed to us as, you know, it's a growing business. It's done, you know, 10% growth year over year the past five years. And so, you know, naturally as investors that are looking for businesses with good growth tailwinds behind them and, you know, a great trajectory, you know, that'll catch our interest. But then we'll, you know, take a, a, a step further and, you know, do a little bit of a deeper dive and we'll start to dissect those numbers a little bit. And so, you know, maybe differentiating things like the recurring revenue versus the non-recurring revenue. And, you know, it's not uncommon for us to find businesses where, you know, they are growing in terms of total revenue year over year. And, you know, it is as advertised to 10%, but in taking a deeper dive, we see maybe the recurring revenue is actually decreasing over that period. And maybe the average, you know, customer contract on the recurring revenue is decreasing or number of, you know, recurring revenue clients is decreasing, but that's being inflated because they are having a lot of these one-time sales, you know, a lot of project work or, you know, uh, uh, sales of product or services um, outside of whatever the recurring revenue stream of the business. And so said another way, it could be a business where the total revenue is increasing, but by all important metrics of the fundamentals of the business, the recurring nature and the contracted client really kind of showing a decline. And so you have this divergence of, you know, fast effect effectively top line revenue is growing, but is the business really growing? So I think kind of one of the most important key metrics that business owners should understand, you know, I think regardless, but certainly 
if they're looking to raise capital in some capacity for their business, is really understanding the revenue drivers of the business. And if it is, is growing, you know, why is it growing and what parts of the business growing? Is it truly growing or is it just, you know, accounting numbers that are showing year over year growth? Yeah, great, great dissection of revenue. The, um, the importance of that recurring revenue model is so key for businesses to understand. Um, and, and profitability, of course, is another measure. Uh, oftentimes it's EBITDA. Uh, and I know on your website you've indicated that you will not invest in uh, cash flow negative companies. Talk about the importance of profitability. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer, but let's get your lens on this. Yeah, I mean, look, EBITDA is very important of the business because it's, you know, effectively the cash flow of the business. And I'll caveat there that there are non-cash expenses uh, or uh, there are expenses that are not expensed on the balance sheet uh, as well that can be an impact there. And so I think similarly to, you know, a business owner wanting to understand the top line revenue, I think it's also important to understand what's the economic profit of the business because the economic profit and the accounting profit can be two very different things. I'll give you an example. If you're a business that needs to invest regularly in, you know, say inventory or some other kind of capital expenditure, like, you know, say a data center, for example, that constantly needs to be updating their servers, um, you know, and those are, are likely not to be expensed on the P&L, but rather capitalized costs onto the balance sheet and then kind of amortized over a period of time. The accounting statements are going to show one number because it's really not capital or capturing those expenses. Um, you know, which can be very material. And when, when those expenses are amortized, it's below the line and EBITDA. But those are real true costs to the business and, you know, really fundamental to the go forward of the business. And so similarly to the top line revenue and really understanding where there could be a difference between the reporting number, the reported number on an accounting basis and kind of what the true trends and the true nature of the business is. The same can be said about, you know, EBITDA or, you know, I think a better way to phrase it, the economic profit of the business, because you can have a business that, that uh, on an accounting basis shows to be very profitable and very strong EBITDA figure, but maybe it regularly needs these capital, these CapEx expenditures, the things that are not showing as expenses on EBITDA, they're being capitalized onto the balance sheet and then amortized below, below the line, but those are real necessary outflows of the business. And so for capital providers like us, you know, we're going to have to consider that as add-in back to the business, where although that's not an EBITDA, uh, it really is kind of a, a recurring expense fundamental to the business that we need to take into consideration when we consider the cash flows that the business actually generates. Yeah, Sean, and I'm sure you see this phenomenon a lot working with um, the lower middle market companies. I know I sure do. Uh, they're, they're typically run to manage taxes, right? So a lot of uh, normalizing adjustments, if you will, as you're going through a diligence process to get to true profitability. What's your advice for business owners who are thinking about running their business or currently running their business to, to basically minimize profit? And then the paradox of when they need capital, they want to be able to show maximum profit. Yeah, it's a great question and certainly, you know, would be great advice to any business owner. I mean, you know, definitely consult with the tax professional and, you know, can certainly use your business in a strategic way, um, you know, from a tax perspective to help you and, you know, obviously the business itself. You know, for us as professional investors, we're not... Uh, it, it's not a foreign topic to us. You know, it's very common, this concept of addbacks when we look at a deal. And so, you know, we'll look at what the accounting EBITDA is of the business, but then we'll consider the things that we need to add back to it. So like you said, things that the owner may be expensing through the business for a kind of a strategic tax perspective, but maybe isn't relative or, you know, necessary to the business. An example that, you know, we often see is, 
you know, meals and entertainment, where, you know, a founder of a business might be expensing more meals and entertainment through their business that really are necessary to the business. Um, you know, it will, we can obviously take that into consideration and say, hey, you know, we see that what's expensed on the P&L is one number, but we think what the true expense line item that we should consider as a go-forward basis is a different, and we'll add that back to EBITDA. The best advice that I can give to entrepreneurs or business owners that do this, and there's certainly no downside from, you know, our perspective, it's not looked down upon for, you know, business owners that do do this, but you need to keep good records, uh, you know, of what those addbacks are. So when it comes time to discussing EBITDA and we have your, you know, accounting EBITDA, we're, you know, taking into consideration what are the addbacks or add-ins that we need to, you know, consider as it relates to the EBITDA can show good records of, you know, these are the things that were expensed exactly where they're expensed, and this is why they're not relevant to the normal operations of the business, and you shouldn't consider it, um, you know, from on a go-forward perspective. So we certainly see that a lot. It's not a red flag, um, you know, but the best piece of advice is just to keep good records of what those expenses are and why they're not relevant to the normal operations of the business. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And, and Sean, for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Uh, the best way would just be go on my firm's website, cloudequitygroup.com. Uh, we have lots of contact information there for myself and the rest of the team, as well as general contact forms. So anyone who's interested in, you know, just learning about the M&A market, maybe, you know, potentially what it would look like if they sold their business, uh, or just looking to raise some capital for their business. I mean, we, we offer free advice, um, jobs in limited capacity, but, you know, happy to help as needed. And, uh, you know, anyone who can reach out to us on our website, will route that internally um, to the most appropriate contact, and we'll definitely reach out. Great, thanks. Sean, we're coming close to a commercial break, but I'm going to try and squeeze as much as I can in here. And I want to ask you about the, the timing for planning. Um, a lot of folks are, are told these days that you should run your business from day one to be ready for sale. What's your perspective on that? Is it too too early to plan right out of the box? Yeah, I think it's too early to plan. Um, look, there's there's um, a conversion of thought as far as like where how to add value to a business. I think that's a good way to put it. When you first start a business, I think the goal is to scale the business, right? You're starting from zero. You need to get revenue, need, ideally need to grow that revenue so you can get to the point where the business is cash flow positive, it can have the infrastructure that it needs to support future growth and, you know, can really scale. And so, you know, when you have that mindset initially, you're, you shouldn't be really thinking about, you know, how can I maximize profitability as an example, which would be kind of on the total opposite end of that spectrum. To more so, how can I reinvest and keep reinvesting in the business to really accelerate that top line growth? So we can get to a point where we can build out the scale and infrastructure that we need. As you get to later, you know, term of sort of the business life cycle and, and maybe you're sort of approaching those years where you say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a capital provider to be, you know, a strategic partner. I'm looking to, you know, sell a part of my business. I'm looking to sell all of my business. You know, maybe that mindset changes a little bit and it's not how can I keep reinvesting everything to accelerating the growth of this business, but maybe how can I find a nice balance of, some type of top-line sustainable growth through the reinvestment, but also, you know, showing profitability and strong profitability and efficiencies. And so I think it's really a converse relationship between the two, reinvestment into the business to maximize growth and maximize enterprise value versus, you know, reducing costs, showing healthy margins and healthy efficiencies. And it's just knowing where you are in the business life cycle and determining kind of where you need to be on that spectrum. 
Yeah, I want to squeeze one more thing in here, Sean, and give you about two minutes on the clock on this one. But uh, the, the flip side to that same coin, is there ever a right time to sell? Um, it's a very good question. I mean, look, so we, we see people come to us, um, you know, for all the different reasons in terms of why they like to sell their business. I think a very common one that we see is, you know, it's a business owner, a founder that started their company, you know, from day one, and maybe it wasn't initially intended to be a company. It started as a hobby, had a couple clients, was charging revenue, and, you know, it turned into a real business. And it scaled and got to some point where, you know, it plateaued. And, you know, the business really needs a professional resource, professional management, professional assistance to help it kind of scale and grow to the next level. And so a common reason that we see business owners come to us is they say, hey, you know, I built this business, it surpassed my expectations, it's gotten to a nice size, but I plateaued. You know, I'm not growing 10% a year every year. I'm, you know, more or less flat. Um, I have a nice, well-run machine, but, you know, I want to continue to grow and I want to take it to the next level. And so I'm looking for a strategic capital provider that can help me to do so. And so that's a very common reason that we see. And I'd say if there's one maybe key indicator of a time where as a business owner, I should consider taking on a strategic capital provider and selling maybe get at least a portion of the business to get that uh, help, uh, it would be when you notice that the business has reached that plateau stage, maybe it needs the capital infusion to get to the next level. Maybe you just need professional assistance or resources to get to the next level and, you know, to allow the business to continue its trajectory and continue to grow that way. Great. Thank you. Uh, Sean, we're bumping up on a commercial break here. So you sit tight. Don't go anywhere. Folks watching and listening, uh, don't go anywhere either. We will be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Hi, I'm Angela Pipersberg, and I have a new show here in RVN Television called The Angela Pipersberg Show. And I want you to join me every week as I sit with guests and we discuss their life journeys, share wisdom, and tips that will inspire you to live your best life. Don't miss The Angela Pipersberg Show every week here on RVN Television, where we're celebrating life and we're inspiring you to greatness. Hi, I'm Dr. Esther Malave, and welcome to my show, Achieving a Better You. Through this show, we're going to explore ways to make a better version of you. For example, nutrition, finance, fitness, health. Remember that there's always a way of making a better version of yourself, no matter what the circumstances are. And remember to look for Achieving a Better You show on RVN TV. Some say the world has never been more divided, more self-centered, more uncaring, that we've never been more disconnected. But through our windows, we're able to see so much good every day. And it's clear that a little kindness is never really little. Did you know that only 8% of people who set their goals, they actually succeed in achieving them? Well, if you want to be a part of that 8%, then you need to tune in to Achieve with Wanda Martin, where I will teach you tips, tools, and strategies on how to achieve your goals in any field and on any level. So tune in, watch me on the RBN Network on how to achieve your goals and be a part of that 8%.
And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about how to prepare for a smooth exit with Sean Frank, who's the founder and chief investment officer of Cloud Equity Group. Uh, Sean, I want to kick off this segment by talking about people, the human capital of a business. Um, I think you're aware I've written a couple of books about the value that people contribute to the value of a business enterprise. Uh, my lens is a valuation professional, and what I've learned is it's a lot about leadership, employee engagement, and that drives these key uh, key. I can speak KPIs. I uh, wanted to get your perspective on how important people are in your diligence process. When you hear CEOs say that our people are our company's most valuable asset, how do you uh, analyze the human yeah. capital component, whether it's the leadership team uh, or even just right down through the employees? Yeah, no, great question. I mean, look, whenever you're speaking with a capital provider, you know, whether that's a private equity firm like ours, it's a lender, it's you know, a strategic provider that's looking to maybe acquire your business. Everyone has, I guess, different levels of importance as far as where different things fall on the spectrum. But at the end of the day, everyone's looking at the quantitative aspects of your business. And so that's like what we were just talking about previously, revenue, the drivers, EBITDA, CapEx. Uh, but they're also looking to the qualitative aspects of the business. And so for us, we always start as a financial buyer. We always start with quantitative aspects. You know, we want to understand the numbers. We want to understand the trends behind the numbers. We want to understand maybe ways that we can enhance the numbers through, you know, our economies of scale and our expertise and our resources and vendor relationships. But once we've checked all those boxes and we say, hey, this business meets the framework in terms of numbers as something that we'd like to invest in, then it shifts over to qualitative aspects of the business. And I think people is probably up there as, as the number one thing that we look at and maybe most firms look at, um, you know, obviously it goes without saying that if an, a business owner is looking for capital because he's looking to exit the business completely, uh, or even if he's looking to partially exit the business, the most important thing it's going to say, you know, anyone's going to say is who's going to replace the owner? Who's going to continue to run the business? Does the business have the team in place today that's effectively running the day-to-day -day and managing and coming up with a strategic, you know, alignment of the business and can come up with a roadmap as far as how we can grow next year and we can accelerate growth and do all that, or is the business owner doing most of that? And it's not necessarily a bad thing if the business owner is doing it, but understanding the people behind the organization, who's really adding value versus who's just doing the work, who we can potentially grow within our organization. I mean, those are very important metrics. For us, when we invest, we do what's called a buy and build strategy. And so we buy a lot of very similar businesses that we look to consolidate and integrate and turn into a much larger business. And so we're always looking for businesses that have very strong people that we can grow within our organization. I think throughout most industries today, uh, acquiring talent has become a struggle. It's very hard to find new good talent. And so our mindset has always been we like to find talent through acquisition. Now, we won't high, uh, acquire a company just to get the people, but it is a very strong consideration that we'll have if we have three companies that, from a pure economic perspective, look very similar. Um, you know, the one that has the stronger team and the scalable team and the one that we like to take within our organization will naturally become sort of a favorite to us. And so we spend a lot of time looking at, you know, the different people within the organization. It doesn't even need to be just managers. I mean, we have a lot of success stories of companies that we've acquired and someone that was in a pretty entry-level job within the organization at the time we acquired it but was overlooked showed a great ability to learn, great work ethic, 
um, and was really able to grow, you know, not only within that company, but within our larger organization. And so it's something that we like to communicate to companies early on as a benefit of, you know, joining our ecosystem and our platform when we do make an investment is now instead of having a cap on where you can grow within your career, being limited to just the size of that company, now you're in a much larger organization with much more opportunities for career growth, growth both uh, vertically and horizontally. Um, you know, so we spend a lot of time to identify companies that have the good teams and have good resources where we can help people to grow within their professional careers, which will in turn help grow the business and, you know, our organization as a whole. Thanks, Sean. I want to turn the, uh, the topic over to uh, one that's near and dear to my heart, also valuation, which is what I do all day, every day. Um, and many times business owners essentially overvalue their businesses in their own minds and sometimes fail to recognize that you as an outside investor or buyer have a required rate of return that you're looking to get when you're making the purchase decision. So your discount rate for the cash flows, if you will, may look different than the ones that we or somebody else may use in valuing the business on a fair market value basis, which is my way of just getting to how do you work to bridge the gap between buyer and seller expectations? Yeah, it's a great question and, you know, one that I think in, in recent years has certainly become much more challenging in certain sectors like the one that we invest in. Uh, we've seen multiples on businesses rise as, you know, COVID and, and other trends have increased demand, you know, naturally towards the types of businesses that we acquire. And it's gotten increased demand by private equity, independent sponsors and, you know, other acquirers that are looking to allocate capital and, and you know, buy these types of businesses. And so natural supply and demand seen multiples come up, um, you know, and it, I think that's retracted a lot, at least in our eyes on the buy side. And, you know, maybe not so much now, but certainly a year ago today, it, it you know, created a, a divergence and a disconnect between, you know, seller expectations and buyer expectations. Um, I think from the seller's perspective, I'll, I'll start there and then I'll switch over to buyer's perspective. I think from the seller's perspective, if you're looking to raise capital for your business. And it could be, again, you know, you're looking to sell the business, you're looking to sell part of the business, so you have to come up with a valuation to kind of mathematically work that number out. Or maybe you're even looking to just take on, you know, debt for the business, some growth capital, um, you know, some type of financing that maybe has a minority equity component. You know, understanding the valuation and where the market is is very kind of key. And so at the end of the day, most industries, unless you have a truly completely unique and proprietary business, you know, there is a market. And speaking to service providers that specialize in M&A or specialize in valuation and, and see these companies transact, can generally, you know, they can generally give you a sense of, you know, how these types of businesses are valued. They're, they're likely not going to put an exact number on your business. And even if they put an exact number on your business, it doesn't mean that's the number that everyone's going to value it at. But they can give you a range, so at least you know what the ballpark is. A business is like mine that has similar attributes. Here's the range. And they can probably also tell you the different factors that can affect where it is in that range. So we talked about some of those on, you know, this episode today. You know, the revenue, uh, the revenue drivers, the historical trends behind that, the economic cash flows of the business, um, you know, and certainly so if those are different from the accounting, you know, a profitability of the business, uh, the people, organization makeup. And so it should give you a natural kind of sense of, you know, in this market, where is my business valued? And that'll bring you into kind of the ballpark of what you should expect. Um, you know, from our side as a buyer, we look at, you know, quite literally hundreds of businesses a month. If we don't pursue all of them and, you know, probably only a fraction of them will we'll go past the first stage on. 
But, you know, with that, we have a very good tap on where the market is and what the market is. We'll be very transparent uh, very early on as far as, you know, here's generally where we see your business in in terms of valuation. Uh, These are the things that, you know, we'll need to understand more to kind of figure out where it is within that range. But, you know, this is kind of how we see it. You know, we think that we're very fair to the market and true to the market as a very active participant there. Um, you know, but where we try to mitigate the risk and, and you know, eliminate the gap early on is, is, you know, by presenting what's called an indication of interest and, you know, basically saying, you know, this is the range that we see your business in and, you know, this, these are the things that can impact where we find it, you know, going to be within that range and this is what we would need in order to kind of come up with a more definitive offer. And so I think that it, it's really twofold. I think that it's important to understand the market. Um, cause market forces very much dictate, you know, general valuations and, you know, your business can only be so unique and so amazing. That's going to sort of independently impact its valuation, but the market is going to be a large driver where, you know, it, it ultimately comes in at the end of the day. Um, you know, but then also just being transparent and having open communications early on. I think it's, it's a time waster on both sides. If you have a, uh, a number in your head that maybe is, is incredibly out of line with the market and, you know, you entertain conversations with lots of interested parties and you know, spend a lot of time on their diligence requests, ultimately to find out that, you know, you guys are, are very far apart. And so in some cases you may decide as a business owner, hey, you know, where the market is today is, you know, not acceptable to me. I'd, I'd rather keep my business and, you know, grow it another two or three years and then kind of revisit things then. Or you may say, hey, you know, I understand where the market is. I need to adjust my expectations. And, you know, this, this is, you know, the reality and, and sort of a fair value for the business. And so it's important to know, I, I think, where the market is and then just have those conversations be very transparent early on. You'll find with it, the professional investors like us, um, you know, we're always open to being transparent because at the end of the day, from our perspective as well, the last thing that we want to do is spend time on a deal if we know that we're ultimately not going to be able to come to a number that's uh, acceptable to you. So just being transparent, understanding the market, I mean, I think those are the two very most important things um, in bridging the gap between your perceived gaps between buyer and seller expectations and leading ultimately to a successful transaction. Yeah. And Sean, we've got about three minutes to go here, so I'm going to put you on the clock for, for a little bit. But I want to just kind of close out with your, uh, your advice for folks. Uh, you, you mentioned that you see hundreds of deals. You start down the process. And at some point um, during the diligence process, you probably have seen hundreds of red flags. What are some of the major flags that you find in diligence that cause deals to go sideways? And what can the entrepreneurs and business owners be doing uh, to prevent those things from happening? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I'm, I'm going to dive into it this way. So first, I'm going to state there's no such thing as a perfect business. I mean, we have never, we've been doing this, I said, you know, 10 years, my career date, you know, longer than that. Uh, we've done over 50 transactions at this firm. I've probably done, you know, another 50 or so before this firm. So we, we do a lot. Uh, I've never in my career seen what I would call a perfect business, where we look at it and say, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this business. This is just a unicorn investment. It's the best business, most well-run machine, you know, we've ever seen. It, it, I, I think, candidly, it just doesn't exist. And as a business owner, I think that, you know, many people know where the hair is on the deal. They know the parts of their business that maybe aren't up to par of where they'd like them to be. Maybe they're a little bit problematic. Maybe they're not as they know, you know, we're perceiving or the other side perceiving it at that point in time. The best piece of advice that I can give is to be upfront and honest and transparent. I think that as a professional buyer, there's very few issues that we can't work around. 
you know, some issues might be very material and it might require us to kind of rethink either the valuation of the business or the structure of the deal or, you know, kind of big, big items like that. There's other things that we can work through, through, you know, business planning or maybe, you know, some sort of language as far as the go forward and transition and, and, and how we mitigate it. But the most important piece of advice that I can give is just to be upfront and honest and transparent about it. The biggest red flag for us and probably most investors today is when we discover things in due diligence that weren't disclosed to us. Now, sometimes that can be an honest mistake. I mean, I'll give an example of of probably one that's on the more honest side that we see, particularly with, you know, unsophisticated sellers, founders that are, you know, selling their their business and it's the first time they're doing it and maybe don't have a strong financial team or background, revenue drivers being one of them, you know, circling back to the beginning of the conversation, they think their business is growing, but they really don't know what's driving that revenue growth. And when we dissect, we say, hey, a lot of these one-time sales projects were maybe stuff that the founder is directly responsible for, but the recurring nature of the business, you know, the number of recurring, you know, clients that are on retainer, the value of those retainer contracts, you know, the retainer revenues, the percentage of total revenue, you know, all of those are trending downwards. And so, you know, it can cause a divergence. And in some cases, that's an honest mistake that maybe they didn't know. And through conversation, we can, you know, talk to them and, and kind of work through it. But sometimes there's more material things like, you know, past due, you know, vendor balances. They haven't paid certain vendors for the past three, four months. They're at risk of getting shut down or, you know, aren't paying payroll taxes or, you know, something something else. And, you know, that the business owner knows and that they didn't disclose to us. And that'll be a giant red flag when, you know, we catch these things that the business owner knew or should have known and we believe they knew and they chose not to provide to us. I think that it's a good rule of thumb that, you know, when you work with a professional investor like us, you know, we're going to uncover everything during due diligence. And so being honest and upfront shows that we have a good partner and we can put trust in this deal and we can work through any issues that come up. But if it's going to be the latter and we're discovering things that weren't disclosed, I mean, that's typically a very big red flag. And those are the types of things that will cause a, a capital provider like us to walk away from a deal. Yeah, great advice. Be transparent, be open. Uh, There's no point in hiding things because it will be discovered. Sean, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I can't thank you enough for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I uh, want to thank the Big Cheese for running the board today, making the show go smoothly. I want to thank you out there in the audience for watching and listening. We can't do this show without you. Uh, please hit that subscribe button. Stay in touch with all that we're up to. Again, my name is Dave Bookbinder. We talked a lot about valuation on this program today, and that's what I do. I'm known for helping my clients in coming up with a proper valuation of their business. And you can always feel free to reach me on LinkedIn. Always happy to have a conversation. That's all we have for today, folks. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care. 